my name is Monica, and I'm a leader in this church. And today, it's my privilege to bring God's message to us. Um, and we have been doing a, a series in the last few weeks on relationships, uh, specifically around marriage, um, looking at before marriage, looking at marriage, and just ministering. Rob and uh, uh, Bobby and Aaron, sorry, have been really helpful. They've gone back to the U.S., uh, but they've been very, very helpful to minister the Word of God concerning this area. But today I'm going to do something a little different, still on relationships, uh, and uh, the topic of my message is godly living in non-traditional families. Godly living in non-traditional families. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I think it's good for us to pray, eh? um, just, to, just to prepare our hearts to receive. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for relationships. Thank you that you have designed us and created us for relationship, first with you and also with one another. Lord, our hearts are really prepared to hear from you this morning. We desire to follow your word, your ways concerning relationships. And we know and we believe that we'll be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So godly living in non-traditional families. Um, what do I mean by this? Godly living in non-traditional families. What are non-traditional families? Well, when it comes to family relationships, um, the church as an institute <clears throat> has often focused on two groups of people. Generally, they look at, we look at um, singles, and singles who hopefully are following the Lord and have a desire to get married either soon or in the near future or in the far future. Or... Um, they look at marriage. Um, people, you know, maybe like a man <clears throat> who was a believer, left his mother and father, and then uh, became the husband of a wife who was also a believer, um, left her mother and father, and the two became one, and they're now together as believers in a home. And they're raising up children for the Lord, um, either uh, ministering to them and guiding them towards the ways of the Lord, or really their children have actually come to know the Lord. So, so generally speaking, this is the groups that we are often, we often hear about in churches and so on. And this is good. It's, it's a godly thing, and I think this is something that God really wants for the, last, the vast majority of us. Uh, we are to honor marriage as it is structured, and it was set up by God, and that's very, very important. That's really his heart for us. But what happens if your family doesn't fit into either one of these two groups. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate. Yeah. What happens if your family does not fit into any of these two groups? What happens if your family is a mixture of believers or non-believers? Um, what happens if you don't really have, you're not in this traditional model. So I use the word non-traditional fa uh, families or non-traditional uh, relationships to really cover a broad range of relationships. Um, I'm looking at people like widows and widowers who are bringing up children, singles uh, who have never been married but they're raising children, either on their own or of their own or adopted. I have a friend who's just gone through a very successful 
um, adoption, and she's now a single parent raising up um, a child. What, about, what happens when two, believer, two unbelievers get married and then one of them becomes a believer? Uh, what happens if you're raising up children who really have no interest in the Lord? And you've done your best, you've prayed, and you've done all these things, but your children really just switched off. What happens if you're raising up grandchildren and their parents are absent? So there are all these uh, what we call non-traditional family structures. And the purpose of today's message is really to just seek the heart of God concerning such relationships. How does God want me to live if I'm in such a relationship, in such, if such a family structure? So what I'm going to do is, first of all, invite us to think of examples in the Bible of people who were in such relationships, non-traditional relationships. Can you think of some examples? And there are many, by the way, very many. You can shout it out. Don't send me by telepathy. The woman at the well. Okay, that's, uh, you're talking about the Samaritan woman? Okay, so she had one relationship after another, after another with this man, and then she encounters Jesus, okay? Hagar and Ishmael, perfect example. Um, Hagar was a servant in Abraham's household, or a slave. Um, she got pregnant by the master of the house, and she was thrown out um, by Sarah. Um, other examples? Ruth and Naomi, thank you very much. Um, Ruth, um, who is uh, with her mother-in-law, so that's a relationship that is not typical or not really traditional as we sense it. Um, other examples? Esther and Mordecai, thank you. Yes, Esther and Mordecai. Timothy, brought up by his mother and his grandmother. Um, his, his father was really absent. Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's household, um, so he was nursed by his mother in a sense, but he, you know, he was essentially brought up in a household that was not his immediate family. And there are many other examples, uh, many other examples. So when you study the characters or the lives of some of these people, you can learn a, a lot about God's heart uh, concerning these what I call non-traditional relationships. You can learn about how to live a godly life um, in such relationships. But first, um, I want to also mention that there are relationships that are plainly ungodly. Okay, so we need to recognize that. There are relationships that are plainly ungodly, and God's heart is very clear. You need to get out of such relationships. You need to repent of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is shocked. He writes to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and he's shocked when he hears about this sexual immorality that is happening in the Corinthian church say the man is sleeping with his father's wife? Why is he shocked? Well, well, because it shouldn't happen, okay? It shouldn't happen. There are certain relationships that are really plainly not supposed to be happening. And then Paul goes on, and he does something interesting. In the next chapter of Corinthians, um, he, he reminds the Corinthian church of their identity. He says to them, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, if, if you have the you know, your Bibles, and you can open there. Um, he, goes, he goes into reminding them of their identity, who they are. He says, you were washed, which means you are cleansed from sin. You were sanctified, which means you were set apart 
for God's purposes, anointed and set apart for God's purposes. And you have been justified, you have been put right with God in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, power of his Holy Spirit. So what Paul is really saying here is that you need to leave behind certain relationships that don't glorify God. They don't match up with your identity in God. So we need to leave such relationships, repent of them and leave them behind. And you do have the power and the ability to get out of such relationships. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery uh, and she was brought to Jesus. So Jesus forgave her, but she also, he also instructed her and said, go and sin no more. So get out of that system. Okay, so Jesus says the same thing for you. If you are in these kinds of ungodly relationships, go and sin no more. And it's a very clear message from God who loves you and really wants the best for you. He wants the best for you. If you need help, get help, um, but get out. So having said this, I want to focus on non-traditional families that, you know, other kinds of non-traditional families. And we've mentioned some examples. It's impossible to go through each and every specific example. Uh, but what I want to do is rather share some principles, some, some truths that God has for us on how to live godly lives in such uh, family structures. And I have identified four principles, four things uh, that we can focus on. I call them the four R's, four R's of living a godly life in a non-traditional relationship, four R's. The first one is to focus on relationship with God, relationship with God. You must prioritize your relationship with God if you want to live a godly life. You must, you must, you must cultivate a healthy and strong relationship with God. It was mentioned in the previous preachings um, uh, on, this, on this topic, and, but just in case you've missed it, I am re-emphasizing it again. You really need to prioritize your relationship with God, and it applies really to everyone. But it is especially essential for those who are living in families that are non-traditional. You really need an extra dose of God. I think that's important to realize. So first step is you need to be born again. You know, if you want to cultivate a relationship with God, make sure you're born again. This means making a decision to leave the world and its ways behind and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, making Jesus your Lord and Savior. And then the second step is really spending the rest of your life growing in the knowledge of God, growing in spiritual mature, in maturity um, and producing the fruit that lines up with that. So why is it important to develop a healthy relationship with God? Why is it important? What are the benefits? Well, um, there are several, and we can't list all of them, but I just want to highlight a few of them. Um, first of all, it helps us receive wisdom and discernment for daily living. We need wisdom. We need discernment for daily living. You think about it. What do you do if you live with children who have no interest with God? You want to talk to them and you want to say, you know, you say to them, let's pray together. And they leave you, they go to their rooms, put on their earphones and shut you out. It can be tough. What do you do if you have a spouse who has no interest in the spiritual things of God? None whatsoever. He mocks God or she mocks God. Places very low value on, on God and godly things. What do you do? You're going to need wisdom and discernment. Okay. Um, let's think about Abigail and Nabal. Okay, you, everybody familiar with the story of Abigail and Nabal? 
interesting story. It's actually narrated in 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're not going to go into, into it. I, I would urge you to maybe scribble it somewhere and read it and meditate on it um, at a later stage. But Abigail is described as a woman of discernment, a wise woman. She, it means she really knew what to do and when to do it. She was a woman who feared the Lord. But she was also married to a man called Nabal, and Nabal is described as harsh and evil. Harsh and evil. So this was a marriage clearly between a believer and a non-believer. Now, at one time, Abigail was faced with a very tricky situation, which was, which was really caused by her harsh and believing husband. Eh? A situation that potentially could have destroyed her entire family. But she behaved wisely. She behaved with the discernment. She knew when to talk to her husband and when not to talk to her husband. She became a peacemaker, speaking wisely, humbly, and prophetically to David, who wanted to take revenge on, revenge on Nabal's meanness to him. And the result is her household was saved. So I believe Abigail's wisdom was really as a result of that, you know, the fact that she feared the Lord. She had a healthy, strong relationship with the Lord. Wisdom and discernment come to those who fear the Lord, those who walk with the Lord. Another benefit of priorities in relationship with God is that you enjoy peace and contentment. You know, we sang this song, peace that is un understandable. You can't understand it. You just have supernatural peace. And it's important, especially when you live in a family where there's drama after drama after drama. I hear some amens. Thank you. So when you have a relationship with God, you know, you just have this peace that is supernatural. Nobody can explain it. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Another benefit of a um, healthy, strong relationship with God is that you enjoy God's favor and protection. I think about Joseph. Joseph was born into a polygamous family. He was hated, hated by his siblings, every one of them. They looked down on him and they plotted deliberately to kill him. But he honored, word, he honored the Lord, he honored God in his words and his actions. He was a man who glorified God for his gift in interpreting dreams. Now, because of this special relationship that he had with God, the favor and the protection of the Lord was with him. When you study his story, this story of Joseph, it's an amazing story. It says he was a prosperous man because the Lord was with him. He was a prosperous man, not because he had a perfect family. He was a prosperous man. Not because, you know, he actually had an absent mother because his mother passed on um, when, he was, when she was delivering um, his brother. So she, actually, he didn't have a mother um, directly. So he was a prosperous man, not because he had this, you know, perfect family structure. He was a prosperous man because the Lord was with him. He had a strong relationship with God. And Joseph also demonstrated, another, by the way, another, you know, another really important benefit of relationship with God, and that's this, that you, you end up with a, with, a, with a life that is very fulfilling. God fulfills his purposes in your life. One of the things I really, really love about God is that he can take your circumstances, 
He can take anything, you know, wherever you are, wherever, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're in, if you are submitted to him, God can take those circumstances that have, you know, that are around you, and he can actually work them out for good for you. That's one of the things I really, really love about God. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. All the issues that he went through, and he became a very, very powerful man in the deliverance of Israel. He fulfilled God's purposes for his life. So these are just a few benefits for cultivating a healthy relationship with God, plus there are many more. Um, and I really want to emphasize this, that God wants and desires relationship with us. It is actually the reason why he came on this earth and he died for us. Yes, he forgave our sins and he did away with all these uh, things that were holding back, but the entire purpose was so that he can have relationship with us. John 3.16, he came into the world, he did what he did so that we don't perish, but we get to know him. We have eternal life, which is really knowing him, relating to him, having a relationship with him. So cultivate a healthy relationship with God. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Meditate on God's word. And if you're not sure how to do this, we can give you more information. We can give you resources. We always have like a resource table um, every, you know, once in a while. Um, so we can give you books that can help you. You can join discipleship. There are many ways in which you can really grow in your relationship with God. So cultivate that. The second thing that we can do, um, I've lost the mic. So the second thing I can do to live a godly life in a non-traditional family is to cultivate strong and healthy relationship with other believers. Amen. It's important for us to be part of a body of believers. And this means developing relationships with believers. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday from uh, 10 to 11.30, you have your cup of tea and you disappear. But it's really about taking time to know believers and to be known by them. By the way, strong relationships take time to develop. Okay? They need investment. They need time. They require effort to maintain. So, of course, I'm not talking about, you know, it's not about having relationships with everybody here. <laughs> that would be very hard. The idea is to get together with a few believers whom you can strengthen one another, pray for one another, be accountable to one another, Practice all these one another instructions that were given in the Bible. Remember that iron sharpens iron. Iron does not sharpen itself. Iron sharpens iron. And here at KIC Luboa, we are really privileged that we have so many small groups. Um, we have several um, that you can fellowship with. And if you would like to start another group or you feel maybe these are not adequate, you want to start another one, then... Uh, we're always open to hear uh, which one you would like to start, and we can pray with you over that. I can use the mic. Yeah, thank you. So it will keep recording? Okay, so I'll just keep it on. Okay, thank you. So um, let's think about this. Relationship with other believers. Why is relationship with believers important? The reality and the fact is God can and will sometimes meet your needs through other believers. 
It's especially necessary for non-traditional families. If you're non-traditional families, there are times that you will have needs and God will meet them through, um, through other believers. Think about the widow who had two children. Uh, the widow with two children whose dead husband had left her with many debts. Her dead husband was part of the school of prophets, um, so they were obviously part of a group of believers. But when he passed on, he left her with so many debts, um, and really debt collectors were at her doorstep. So God met her needs, not directly, but through the prophet Elisha, who miraculously multiplied what she already had. Think of the story of Ruth. Um, We mentioned that Ruth who was a widow, a Moabite widow. She left the land of Moab and chose to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was an Israelite. That's very unusual for someone to choose to follow the mother-in-law. But she chose to walk with God. She lived with Naomi and she was eventually connected to Boaz, who became her husband, and together they became the great-grandparents of King David. So our relationships with one another can and should be a source of blessing, irrespective of what kind of family that you are. Never underestimate God's power working in you to influence others in your life. I like the example of Timothy. Timothy was raised up by his mother and his grandmother. His father was Greek, um, probably not interested in the things that are spiritual. Um, And biblical scholars actually presume that he left. He left the home fairly early in Timothy's life. So Timothy was raised up by his mother and grandmother who were believers, and they shared their faith with him. He joined the believers in Ephesus, and he was anointed by a council of elders who, again, were obviously believers. He was anointed. His gifting was imparted on him by the laying of hands by the elders who were in Ephesus. And then he grew up under Paul's influence, yet another believer, to become the leader of the church in Ephesus, one of the largest churches of its time. So from the young age, his life was influenced by believers. You can influence others to realize their godly potential in the same way. So when you hang around believers, that's what happens. There are many other examples of godly people in non-traditional families who share their faith, their gifts with others. Philip, the evangelist, who had four unmarried daughters. It's an unusual family structure. They were all prophetesses, and he would host believers. Eh? He would host believers in his home. Esther, who was raised up by her cousin Mordecai, grew up uh, with Mordecai's you know, principles, values um, instilled in him, in her rather. So cultivate healthy relationships with believers. You'll be blessed, and you'll have the potential to bless others as well. So those are two things. Can you remember? One is relationship with God. Number two, relationship with believers, okay? Remember, we are talking about how to live a godly life in a non-traditional family. Relationship with God, relationship with believers. Number three, resist the devil. Amen. If you want to live a godly life in a non-traditional family, as well as a traditional one, by the way, you need to learn how to resist the devil. And it's especially, you know, it's especially, it's very, very um, important, especially for those who live in non-traditional families. You know, generally speaking, if a man has a healthy, mature relationship with God and is married to a wife who has a healthy relationship with God, then both of them together really can easily overcome what life has for them. 
It's very easy, you know, you, you, you get together with your spouse and like, let's pray in tongues for about 15 minutes. And you build yourself up. Let's pray over this issue. And you pray over this issue. The Bible says a rope that is made up of three strands, you, your wife, God, is not easily broken. But in non-traditional families, this structure is really not the norm. This threefold cord, this threefold strand of rope is really not the norm. So if you're not careful, you can end up um, with a lot of negativity in your life. You can end up lonely, where you're sitting in a situation and you're thinking, no one really understands me. No one knows what I'm going through. I'm the only one with this problem. Everybody else seems to have a very satisfied life. You can end up envious. I wish I had what that family, that couple has. I wish I was like so-and-so. You can end up unforgiving. I will never forgive so-and-so for what they did for me, what they did in my life. You can end up focusing on the negative things in your life instead of the blessings in your life. You can end up quarrelsome, full of strife, and having prolonged anger against God, against yourselves, and against others. And all these things are really very, very healthy environments for the devil to operate in. It's a very fertile ground for the devil to operate in. There are areas where he can feed you lies. He can operate actively to kill, steal, and destroy from you. In James chapter 3, verse 16, it's, a, it's an interesting verse. James chapter 3, verse 16. James chapter 3, verse 16. This is what it says. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Every evil work. Not just a few evil things, every evil work. If you have envy and strife, and strife is really prolonged quarreling and unresolved anger against others. When you have these things actively in your life, it's like having, um, you know, what, what do those things, you know, medical people put in your veins when they want to treat you with uh, a cannula? Everybody understands the cannula? Okay, so, so when you have a cannula, um, you know, they can inject you with anything, really. If you think about it, and I'm not being negative, don't, don't go to the doctor and think, what, is this, what are they doing? Um, um, but but it's, it's an open door into your body, so to speak. And so it's the same way that these things, envy and, you know, um, bitterness and strife and anger, it's, it's the same thing. It, it really creates a cannula in your body. So whatever the enemy wants to put into your life, he puts in. Sickness, bitterness, lack of peace, all these things are, you know, are basically just put in because of um, uh, a very unhealthy environment that you're breeding. And let me just say this, there are right ways and wrong ways to deal with disagreements amongst people, okay? And yes, we'll have disagreements um, irrespective of whether in traditional family or non-traditional family, there's always going to be potential for seeing things in different ways. And there's healthy ways and unhealthy ways to deal with that. So it's important that you learn how to deal with disagreements and conflicts uh, and different value systems in a healthy way. Otherwise, you can end up in an environment that is continuously in strife. You can end up with the devil as your constant companion. It's that serious. So how do I resist the devil? Number one is you know the truth. Satan is really a defeated foe. That's a reality. He's a defeated foe. 
The only power that he has over us is to lie to us. If you are equipped to that truth, you can detect his lies and cancel the effect on you. So get to know the truth. It will indeed set you free. You can live a life that is submitted to God. Put yourself under God's authority first and do it willingly. Submission is something that, that you do willingly, by the way. You do it willingly. You know, I've had people say, I'm quite happy to submit to God, but I will never submit to anybody. That's very interesting because God, whom you're submitted to, actually tells you submit to one another. Submit to the governing authorities. So if you are indeed submitted to God, then you will submit to, you need to also willingly submit to, uh, to each other. You, you need to willingly submit to governing authorities. Jesus was really the perfect example of submission. He says, no one takes my life away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one forces me to give up my life. I do it willingly. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one forces me to lay down my life. I do it willingly. That's ultimate submission. When you do something willingly, okay? There are other ways to resist the devil. They include really not deliberately and continuously engaging in sin. Not living according to your flesh, according to your emotions. Hmm? You're always angry, you're always fearful, you're always bitter, you're always mood, moody. Uh, nobody really knows how to approach you. Are you angry? Are you irritable? Let me wait until you calm down. The Bible says that when we, we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. So resist the devil. Okay? So that's the third R. Let's go to the fourth R. The fourth R is recognize your identity. Recognize your true identity. If you're in a non-traditional family, you need to know your true identity. Recognize your true identity and live out of that identity. Do you know who you are? Or are you just going to accept whatever the world says about you? Hmm. I was in a community meeting the other day, and... Um, there was a young girl who had come with her mother. Her mother had come for the meeting, and this young girl had come along as well. She was about six or seven. It was the first time I'd met her. So I greeted her. I asked her, you know, how are you? And most people give the standard answer. I'm fine. I'm okay. But her answer was really unique. She said, you know, when I asked her, how are you? She said, I am blessed, highly favored, very intelligent child of the living God. And she was very serious, by the way. Six to seven years old, she already had her identity straightened out at such a young age. What about you? How do you see yourself? An orphan without a father or a mother, helpless? A poor widow? A single mother? A neglected child? A suffering person? The Bible says we have to be careful how we think, especially how we think about ourselves, because our lives are shaped by our thoughts. Be careful how you think. How do you think about yourself? Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Our identity in Christ is very important if we are to live fulfilling lives that are godly. If you don't know who you are, the world can really mess you up. The world can offer you an identity that is completely contrary to what um, to the identity that Christ has offered you. Most of the world's false identities 
and patterns are based on your current situation and your current condition. You are poor. You're not going anywhere. You're an orphan. Nobody cares about orphans. You're a single mom. You're a failure. Your true identity, on the, other hand, on the other hand, is really based on what Jesus has accomplished for you and therefore how God sees you. It's very important that you straighten that out in your mind. How does God see you? What has Jesus accomplished for you? So God sees you as his beloved child. He is your good, good father. Amen. Powerful song. You're a good, good father. He sees you as his beloved child. Jesus sees you as his bride, his friend, his co-worker, co-heir. So get to know who you are from the word of God. Get to know who you are. When you know your true identity, then you can also live according to that identity. You know, if I was to ask, how many Ugandans are sitting in this room? Just put up your hand. How many, how many of you are really trying hard to be a Ugandan? It's a strange concept. <laughs> you don't try to be a Ugandan. You are a Ugandan. You just live out of it. Does this make sense? So if you know who you are, you know, the only people who try to be Ugandans are the ones who are known, for, who are known Ugandans. <laughs> so if you know who you are, if you know who you are in Christ, you just live out of it. The key is to know who you are and not to absorb these identities that are, are being inflicted on us from the world, especially when you're non-traditional families. There are all these labels that are put on you. So be careful how you think about yourself. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. We're stopping a little early today. That's a compensation from the previous. <laughs> um, but I just want to, quick, quick quiz. What are the four R's that are very, very essential to live a godly life in a non-traditional family? Can you think of them? Relationship with God. Prioritize your relationship with God. Relationship with, with other believers. Get together believers and you can pray with one another, do all these other things. Resist the devil, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's the scripture, the scripture that says it. Eh? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Third, a fourth, recognize your identity and live out of that identity. Recognize your identity and live out of that identity. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you this morning for speaking to us. Father, we thank you that you are non-judgmental. You don't judge. You don't continuously bring up our pasts, our mistakes, our issues. But you have taken away our sins. You have taken away our past. You have give, taken away what was faulty in us, and you have recreated us according to your image. Father, we thank you for this new identity that we have. We thank you that you have empowered us to resist the devil. We thank you that we have relationship with you, and we have fellowship with others. And Lord, as I speak over this congregation this morning, 
I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit will minister accordingly, he'll minister his word accordingly in the different circumstances, different individuals, whatever they are going through right now. And that they may receive of you. And where repentance is necessary, that that shall happen. Where restoration is necessary, that shall happen. Where just cutting off the past and walking into a future with boldness and with favor with you, let it happen. I speak believing and knowing and trusting in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Indeed.